Thank you, choir. Thank you, Murray. Thank you, Frank. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. We're working our way through the letter of Philippians, which is very short. It has four chapters. Uh, the theme is uh, joy, and the word joy is mentioned uh, some 18 times. And it's amazing how that joy comes. It comes out of Paul, who's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to a church that is some thousand miles away, and they're in Philippi. They're a congregation of Greeks and Romans, and the Romans are retired soldiers, and they're there and have been sent to uh, kind of make that a colony, and also the Greeks. And there's a lot of pride in what they have. In the Greeks, they had Alexander the Great, who conquered the whole world. And everywhere he went, he would take Greek philosophy and the Greek language. And so in that day, the number one language, the number one uh, philosophy that was there was the Greek language and the Greek philosophy. And then there were the Romans who were very proud of the fact that they had conquered the world. And he introduces something in the middle of that pride that is shocking to them. And the word that he mentioned is being humble. And to them, humbling was a weakness. But when we see it in the example of Jesus Christ, it is a strength. And Paul has given us kind of words that are motivating words. That's what literature would call these words that Paul gives us, motivating words. But then he gives us an example and it's good to have motivating words and motivating things, but the greatest influence in our life will be the examples that we have. And to me, that is, as a grandfather that, and a father, that is brought on to me, and as a pastor, that is brought on to me just about every day. So what kind of attitude am I passing on to another generation? Because we live in a world of manipulators, and we learn how to manipulate from a very early age. Uh, my granddaddy, both my granddaddies were, worked for the Southern Railroad. And during the Depression, that was a very good job to have uh, during that time. One was an engineer for the Southern Railroad, and he would go with his train run from Selma to McIntosh, one way to Mobile, and then he'd go back to Wilton, where he'd uh, go toward Birmingham. And he learned how to be an engineer by shoveling that coal in those old steam engines. And I'm very proud of my granddaddy, who was a very hard worker. My other granddaddy, Granddaddy Henry, was a station master. And a station master, he was in charge of these little stations that are all over the place. And I love to see these old stations. Most of them are being uh, torn down. But my granddaddy was a station master in Burnsville and um, Jackson, Alabama, Alberta. And um, he, was, he knew Morse code and he taught a lot Morse code. But in one place where he was station master, there was this uh, lumber company that was there where he was. And the company was on one side of the tracks and where they were cutting timber was on the other side of the track. And so they came to my granddaddy uh, who's a station master, and said, we want to roll our logs. It's cheaper for us to roll our logs across the tracks. And my granddaddy said, uh, you can't do that. That's a good Southern Railroad policy. You do not roll those logs across the tracks. 
And so they said, okay, for a while. Then they took my granddaddy bird hunting. And when they took him bird hunting, they rolled those logs across the tracks. And my granddaddy was manipulated. Amen. Have you ever been manipulated? How many of you have ever manipulated somebody? Would you raise your hand? Now, come on, confess. You're lying if you refuse to do that, which is the worst kind of attitude. My uh, grandchildren will manipulate me, my, especially my granddaughters. Uh, granddaddy, you don't want me sad, do you? No, will you give us donuts for breakfast? It's kind of a trend. I don't know whether that's more of a boy thing or a girl thing or whatever, but when I was pastor at a church, my um, uh, director of missions would come to me, and this is how she would say it. She'd put it like this. She would say, uh, Dr. Henry, do you love Jesus? Now, that's a, <laughs> what do you say after that? There's only one way you could say that. And so I'd say, yes, ma'am, I do. And then she would give me her agenda that she wanted me to do since I, she would kind of manipulate me in that kind of way. So we all live in the manipulations in the world. It's in Congress. It's in our state legislatures. It's all in politics. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. And we see that in the world in which we live in, not only in the world, but it's in our families. And it's in our church. But that's not the example of Christ. Things are not done by manipulation. They are done by humble obedience. And we see Christ, when he would come across people, he didn't manipulate them. He made them feel so, so special. And he saw in Nain, he saw a group coming out, a funeral coming out of Nain. And it was a widow whose only son had uh, passed away. And he stopped and he raised that boy from, I can imagine that. I, I've often thought, what if we, in front of a casket, we were to raise the casket and the person get out of the casket? We'd be a good place to take up an offering. I guarantee you we would, we would have people giving in all sorts of ways. He didn't do that to manipulate her. He did that because it was the right kind of thing to do. A man was by the pool of Bethesda, and as he was by the pool of Bethesda, he'd been there 38 years. He was an invalid. Everybody else had gotten ahead of him into the pool. And Jesus came by, didn't ask him for anything. He said, do you want to be made well? Because some people would rather stay sick. And he said, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And that's just what happened. And then the man went away from Jesus. He didn't do it to manipulate him. He did it because it was a humble thing to do just because he's Jesus Christ. Um, I'm glad Auburn won yesterday. That's an exciting thing to do. We're happy about that. And and I'm glad Alabama won. I wish both of those had been closer games because when they're closer football games, the offering goes up the next day. I don't know how that comes about, but if you let my team win, I'll double my <laughs> offering. <laughs> and uh, when we get to the Auburn-Alabama game, that would be interesting because 
When Alabama wins, it's always a larger offering. I don't know what the connection is between that, but anyway, that kind of... Several years ago, I was with, uh, had my family, and we were at the A-Day game at Auburn, and, and after the game, they let you go down on the field to get autographs from all players, and everybody surrounding Bo Jackson and all these named players, and uh, we were getting all, my boys were getting all their autographs, and my son Mike was kind of getting away from us, and so um, I hollered at him, Mike! And when I did that, this fourth-string punter said, yes, (laughs) and nobody was around him. I mean, his picture wasn't even in the the, uh, program. And so I started to say, listen, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my son who is getting away from me. But I thought, well, this would be a very special moment. So I said, Mike, will you give me your autograph? And I got all my family around, and we all got his autograph. Uh, he didn't even have, his picture wasn't in the program, so we had to sign a Yellowwood commercial that was on the, in the program. I don't even know what his name is, but I'm sure he went back to the dorm and said, hey, how many autographs you get? I got four out of five autographs. But we made him kind of feel special. Nobody else was making him kind of feel special. And that's what the Lord did with people. He made four-string punters feel special. And when you make people that are kind of ignored and neglected, when you make them feel special, you're being humble, just like Christ was humble. Now the church is having discord and there are a lot of churches I know that you cannot be in a church without having to get discord. You can't be in a family without having discord. You can't be in a job without having discord. So there's discord that's happening in the church. And so you can either let it go and say it take care of itself, be the uh, little Bo Peep approach, leave them alone and they will come home wagging their tails behind them. And a lot of people approach that. But Paul is willing to have a hard conversation. And sometimes that's very difficult to have a hard conversation. But he's saying with the church, this is who you are. You represent Jesus Christ. This is what you have. You not only have Jesus Christ who is an encourager, and he comes alongside of us and encourages us. But you also have God's love, and God's love reaches out. It doesn't just stay where it is. It kind of overlooks some things that need to be overlooked, and it even brings a comfort to some kind of hurting experience. And then you have the power of the Holy Spirit who guides you. I really think the Holy Spirit guided me that day when I said, you know, that, not my, I want to talk about, no, I want to make you feel special. And God gave them an, an opportunity to make somebody feel special. But humbleness is not a word we want to have ourselves. We want somebody else to have humbleness. When we want our way, we want our way the way we want our way, and we want it to happen our way. And when we don't get our way, we kind of get our feelings hurt. And we withdraw or come on strong one way or another. 
And there are a lot of people who have been members of this church and who are out there somewhere and darkened the doors of this church for a long time. Maybe some reason they got their feelings hurt. Maybe something happened. Whatever it was, maybe somebody didn't come visit them. Whatever it is, they got their feelings hurt. And they're no longer coming to church. But I think the church still has a, a mission to whoever, even the people who do not feel special. Our mission is to reach out to them and help them to feel special. Now, again, the words are there, but deeper than the words, we need an example, and our example is Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 2, and we'll look at one of the greatest hymns ever written. It may not be a hymn, it may be a creed, but it is a rhyme in, in here. So the lines go together, so it's either a hymn or a creed that they would say in the church, probably taught to them by Timothy, who comes from a Greek. It follows kind of a Greek background, but it talks about their uh, basic understanding of who Christ is. So in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read for us from Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at verse 5, start there. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say that's a command. Whether you feel like it or not, it is still a command. Because we don't always feel like being the mindset of Jesus Christ. But whether it is you feel like it or not, it's to have the mindset of Christ wherever you are, in your family, in your work experience, in your church, wherever it is. So then he says, what he gives us an example, who being in the form of God, this is preexistence, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and, a, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of mankind. Being found humble in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now, that was a decision. That's not something somebody makes for you. It's a decision he made as God. He was God in a bod, one way of putting it. Uh, he was not a good man who came to God. He was a good God who came to man. And he humbled himself, being made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. And it was God on the cross, God the Son on the cross, even the death of a Roman cross. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. This tells us about the pre-existence of Christ. That is, in Genesis, before the world began, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he says, let's make man in our image. 
And uh, John puts it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In chapter 14 of John chapter 1, he talked uh, in verse 14, or I think it's 14, 15, he says that God pitched his tent among us, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. So before the world began, and he doesn't tell us everything that we'd like to know. We'd like to know what happened before the world began. There was this fellowship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the brokenness of man would come into the world, and so something needed to be done for the brokenness in this world. Adam sinned. Adam held on to his. He wanted to become God. Satan sinned. By Satan was in heaven and one of the archangels and he wanted to become God so there was this mighty war in heaven that happened Jesus already was God he didn't have to become God he already was so in the brokenness of man something needed to be done so God the father had this kind of solution if you look in John three sixteen, and you know it well for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the garden when Adam sinned, it was not Adam that came to God. It was God that came to Adam. And in our world, it was Jesus Christ who came to us. He was in the nature of God. He had all the privileges of being God. And so when the plan was unveiled, uh, Jesus chose to be part of that plan and to be the one who would humble himself and come down in the form of man. And he did that. And he did that. He left his form that he was in heaven. The form was his splendor. We saw the form somewhere on the Mount of Transfiguration when the disciples were with Jesus and all of a sudden he was transformed in all his glory. His glory of God began to shine throughout his humanness. So he didn't leave his godliness. He was God and he was man. So when he came to us, he came to us in the form of a servant. And he was born not in a palace. He was born in a stable. And in that stable is a feeding trough. And he came to this earth in a feeding trough in the kind of weakest form you could ever come to. And he came as a little baby. And he was announced by the angels. But his human form, in his human form, he could have chose to be some of the godly aspects of who he was. And when Satan tempted him, he tempted him by saying this, since you are the son of God, turn this bread and turn this stone into bread. I know some people who can turn bread into stone. Amen. Do you know somebody? So that was a slip, but I thought I'd play it out. Okay. Um, one lady told me she knew when her mom was cooking because the fire alarm went off, smoke alarm went off. And she called their dinners um, burnt offerings. That's what she did. These burnt offerings. 
So Satan says, listen, you can turn this stone into bread. I mean, after all, you are the son of God. You can do this. But he listened to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brought a scripture to his mind, and the scripture in his mind says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And he backed Satan down. But Satan doesn't quit. He keeps coming. He said, why don't you cast yourself off the temple? And he quotes scripture. He says, listen, God said he'll take care of you because Satan's very good at quoting scripture. But he always quotes it in his terms. And Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he said, You know, you, you, uh, if you'll fall down and worship me, all this will be yours. And Satan has a plan, and his plan is for each one of us to have us divert from where the plan God has for my life and your life. And he is so easy to listen to. And his appeal to Jesus was in his divinity as well as his humanity. Jesus had the same kind of situation that Adam had before the fall. He could have sinned. You and I are born with sin in our lives. If you don't want, know that, just go watch the nursery. You'll see them in there. They beat each other over the head with their toys. And we live with that kind of, we manipulate, we do all these kind of things. That's part of our nature. But Jesus could have sinned, but he didn't. He was totally without sin in his human form. He knew what it was like to be tired. He took a nap while they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. He was tired as he sat by the well in Samaria. He had these godly, uh, manly characteristics. And when he saw his friend, the gravesite of his friend Lazarus, he burst out of tears. So he, he identifies with us. And he humbled himself and he became a servant, even to the death of the cross. And the cross was a very excruciating kind of death. It was the Assyrians that probably first made that an instrument of death. They beat you and then put you on the cross and put you so you could not take a breath when your feet were there. And Jesus would raise himself so he could get out the carbon, bring in the oxygen. Get out the carbon, bring in the oxygen. So they came around and broke everybody's leg, and he was already dead. Because when they broke your leg, you could not build yourself up in that kind of condition. And he cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time, the father and son was separated, so his death that he took was not only physically an abusive kind of thing, but it was a spiritually and emotionally kind of thing from the cross because for the first time, God the Father and God the Son was separated because of the sin condition. And if that were the end of the story, then you and I would have no hope. We would have a reason to go to the floor of Bama, amen, and blow it out. But there's nothing else left. 
But that's not the end of the story. Verse 12, uh, excuse me, verse 9, wherefore? Wherefore? There's a wherefore in this story. Wherefore? God has highly exalted him. And has given him a name which is above every name. That is, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, the total cosmos. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is, he was glorified. And the end result of those who confess Jesus before this time, where they are in their world today, wherever you are, when you confess him as Jesus Christ, as the Lord, then God has prepared a place, and one of these days he's going to come and receive you. There will be a time when the whole world will confess it. But our time is in this span of life that God has given us. He humbled himself. And if you look back at chapter 4, or look forward at chapter 4, you see of verse 2, if you have your Bible, verse 2, is this, I beseech you. Now, I never beseech you. I don't know that word. That's a uh, kind of Greek word, I beseech you. Um, my daddy used to say, now, um, I want you to cut the grass if you want to, and you had better want to. That's called beseech. Okay, beseech. I beseech you, and I encourage you, you already in Syntyche, that you be of the same mind in the Lord. Something happened has happened between these two ladies. I used to be hard workers in the church. In fact, they were probably at the beginning of that church at Philadelphia. They may have been at the um, Bible study that Paul and his group encountered as they first came into Philippi. But something happened. Something's happened that's come in between them and something is separating them and it's what it's doing is it's causing discord among the church and people are having to choose sides. And what used to be a fellowship is becoming a battleground. And in battlegrounds, the people are not special. People choose sides, get on this side, and then want to put their agenda in, the, in what needs to be happening. Have this mind of Christ. Have this mind of Christ. It humbles himself. Look for ways that you can establish humbleness because there's always opportunities to be humble and when there is humbleness there's a disreward there's a sense of Christ when you've done it unto the least of these my brethren you have done it unto me ask for an opportunity to be humble because there's an opportunity around you somewhere I read about two brothers who, uh, just young brothers, they about one was 10 and one was eight, and the opportunity for the older brother to be um, um, manipulating the younger brother, and I know that because I was an older brother. I, uh, God forgive me for what I've done to my 
two brothers. <laughs> but uh, so there was this one piece of pie left. And the older brother said to his younger brother, you be Jesus. And he took the piece of pie. I've done that and you've done that. You be Jesus. I want to hold on to my own feelings. I want to hold on to my own pride. And you be Jesus. I want my way. That's not the Jesus way. I like the story of the little boy who was had his uh, shoe shining kit and and everybody was coming around at the at the airport. And you know how busy airports are. Somebody is always running through the airport. Now, Susan and I have run through airports, missing our flight, man, getting on our flight, and those kind of things in the airport. Um, who was the guy from that ran through on uh, advertising? Do you remember who he was? Um, who? O.J. Simpson. There you go. You remember O.J. Simpson's uh, commercial? You're old people if you remember O.J. Simpson <laughs> running through the airport. <laughs> well, people were running through the airport. So they knocked over his um, little shoe shine kit, and it went all over the place. And so he was there picking up the pieces to his shoeshine kit. And this one guy I ran in by two stopped and got down and helped him pick up the pieces to his shoeshine kit and helped him put it back together. And the little boy said, Mr., are you Jesus? And he said, no, I'm not. But I know him. And I can tell you how you can know him. But this man brought a Jesus moment to a little boy. God gives us opportunities to do Jesus moments when we humbly obey them or give in to our pride and self-centeredness. And it's a struggle. Now, would you bow your heads for just a moment as we go to the Lord? Now, would you ask him, and this is almost like asking for patience. God, show me places that I need to be humble. It may be at work. It may be in your family. It may be in your church. It may be in your husband-wife relationship. Help this church to be a place of humble people. where even fourth-string punters are made to feel special.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.